0: You are listening to Stitchwish Radio, a podcast for crafting your own magic and threads. I'm your host, textile artist, author, and teacher, Christy Johnson. Hey there, and welcome back to Stitchwish Radio. Today, I want to talk about the process of making my book, Mystical Stitches, and tell you a little bit about the book's history, about its birth story, um, why I wrote it, and the process of getting it all done. And I also want to share a few things I've learned through the process. Um, Some of these things might seem especially obvious, but honestly, one of my favorite feelings is this feeling of like rediscovering a new facet of something that you think you already know. And this was a concept that I heard of one of my favorite words, the word epiphany. It's this concept that like, it's this rediscovering of something that you already knew inherently. Um, And I couldn't find that definition of the word anywhere, but I heard it once and I'm going to stick to it. (laughs) The book Mystical Stitches started as a 50 page zine that I made. Let's start at the very beginning. In the summer of 2018, I did a podcast interview with Natalie Ross, who has a podcast called Dream, Feed and Beauty, which is now called Earth Speak. And as we were preparing for the podcast, she asked me, like, is there anything you want to, you know, do you have any free offers or anything that you want to offer the listeners of the podcast? And I thought, oh, actually, I had this idea for this little like four page document where I could kind of help guide people through the idea of creating their own embroidered talisman. And she was like, oh, that'd be cool. You know, if you could have that ready by this date, whatever. And after I made this little four or six page document with these ideas, I realized that there was so much more that I had to say. So this little six page idea that I had turned into a I think it was like 45 pages or something a book on creating your own embroidery ritual to set your intentions and that's kind of what ended up being the book proposal for mystical stitches so i feel like that's kind of the first lesson learned through this experience is to listen to your creative urges the making of this book didn't really on the surface make any sense There was, I was not an author. Nobody was asking me for this book. Um, It didn't really, you know, I think a lot of us expect for our projects to make a lot of sense and monetarily and conceptually. So I think that's a really important thing is like when you have the urge to create something like let it let that urge flow through, let that concept take form without having to worry about like, oh, how am I going to make money off of this or whatever. Um, So yeah, listen to your creative urges when they happen. And you know, I think it took me I think I spent like probably a month creating this 44 page zine. And again, it didn't really make any sense. Like nobody was really asking me for it. I had never written books before I had written little booklets for my workshops and things my live workshops, little books that went along with it. But it was just something I was driven to do. And that turned into the getting the beginning of the ball rolling for getting mystical stitches created and having a book published by a publisher not to say that that's any better than self-publishing but okay so back to the story i've got this zine that i've made this self-published zine and i was having fun just offering that out to the world and then my friend stacy stacy wakefield forte thank you so much um stacy came up to me and was like, hey, um, you know, I design craft books and things like, let's turn this into a real book. This is this book has a lot of potential. You can make this into something bigger. And I was like, no, I'm fine. Thanks. I'm all good here. It's all good. Thanks. Don't need anything. Um, And she just kind of kept asking me about it. And I kept telling her, you know, maybe someday. Oh, yeah, maybe later. And then finally, she said to me, come over to my house, bring your computer with me with you. And we will sit down and I will turn this into a book proposal. (laughs) So when somebody invites you to be helped, listen to them take the invitation. So I took her invitation, I came over, we she put together this beautiful book proposal with all the parts that I needed. um, And then I was able to start sending that out. And she said, I'm going to send it to some publishers that I know. um, And I sent it to a Book agent that my friend worked with, and um, you know, I heard quite a few no's, and they were beautiful no's, though. They were encouraging no's. It was like the book agent said, This is a really great idea, but I just don't have, there's very little margin for an embroidery book, so I can't take this project on. That was basically like a yes to me. Hearing that I was like, Oh, yeah, let's go. All right. <laughs> so, I guess that brings me to my next sort of epiphany, which is like send the email, write the letter, do the thing, reach out to the person about the thing that you're interested in. And, you know, we're all humans and humans love connection. So don't be scared to connect. I mean, the worst that's going to happen is that somebody doesn't respond this is somehow way less heartbreaking than it initially may seem. But you know, not being someone's cup of tea or not being right for somebody doesn't mean you're not good. It just means like, you know, maybe they don't like oolong with dried orange peel, or they'd rather have a hibiscus tea or something. And you got to find somebody who likes your oolong with a dried orange peel. (laughs) So, you know, we don't need to turn ourselves into Lipton iced tea in hopes of everybody liking us. So finally, one of the publishers that Stacy sent the book proposal to was Story Publishing, who was the publisher who published my book. Um, And they were very excited. And I don't I don't mean this to be derogatory about them at all because I love their books. But I was like, oh, should I be looking for a publisher who has like cooler books, like cooler style and stuff like Abram or HarperCollins or whatever Um, and when I looked in and I looked deep within and I looked at their books, I said, no, this is the publisher that I want. I'm in line with their mission and they might be, you know, not all, all in the design aesthetic that I like, but they're all done with the passion that I like. And they're all done in the style that I, that really speaks to my heart. And I'm so glad that I made that decision because I had nothing but good experiences working with them. And I felt like my voice was listened to and I felt like we were all on the same page and we all had the same vision. And again, I love all the books that they put out. And so to be a part of their body of books felt way more important to me than sitting at the lunch table with all the cool kids. So back to the story. So now I've got my book proposal done, I've got the publisher picked. And now it's time for me to actually write the book. And this is where a lot of mental chatter starts happening. All of a sudden, all of the demons of, am I good enough to write this? I don't, I don't know how to write. I'm not a writer. Is this OK for me to be doing this? This all starts coming up. I hadn't studied writing or anything, but I just was driven to write this. And that's another thing. It's like you don't have to have a degree in something to make it work for you in your own work. So that was something that I ran into throughout the process of writing Mystical Stitches. I kept kind of coming against this wall of like I'm not a writer. I'm not a writer. What am I doing? Why am I doing that? I'm not a writer? Why am I writing a book? Why do I have a book contract? What what are they thinking? They, they they don't they don't know anything about me. They must not they must think that I'm a writer. And I had to keep talking myself down off of that. Um, that cliffside of like, I'm not a writer, you don't have to have a degree in something to do it. I mean, unless you're doing open heart surgery, you should probably have a degree in that. But as far as creative things, like we don't need to be accredited to be able to try something out. So that was another lesson that I had to continually remind myself of through the process of writing mystical stitches and through the process of writing illuminated stitches. But there is something to be said about having no expectations for your project that makes you be a little bit more free, which I think is perhaps why that original self-published scene, Illuminated Stitches, kind of really flowed out of me because I had little expectation of it. Now, when I got to the writing phase of Mystical Stitches, after I had signed the contract, it was just up to me to make it happen. I honestly hit a lot of walls there and I hit a lot of questioning my own capabilities. And at that point, I rather conveniently met a Jungian psychoanalyst who was in love with one of the, one of the shirts that I made that I embroidered. Um, And so I was able to trade sessions um, with this psychoanalyst for this embroidered piece that I had made. And I think that that was this really beautiful convergence of moments because I don't know if I would have been able to make it through the writing process and I would have been able to believe in myself if I didn't have a professional there with me being like, where are these thoughts, where are these doubts coming from? And I say that to try and help normalize the idea of going and seeing a professional, even if we're not dealing with something that is highly traumatic or, you know, we think that we're on a base level okay, it can be really, really helpful to go through with somebody who is there for you, there to support you, and there to reflect back to you what your fears are and help you sort through them. So that I, I cannot thank that person enough for having been there and having showed up just at the right time for me to talk to them. Whew. That was a lot to tell you that. That was a lot to share for me. So now we're in the process of writing. Now we're in the process of stitching these pages of the book. Now we are researching all of these concepts behind all of these symbols. Now we are putting together this imagery. And the next sort of roadblock that I hit, I don't mean to define this book by its blocks, but I guess it was more the next discovery I made, the next epiphany I had, was that I was so frequently trying to find the perfect representation of an image. And initially, the way that came across was trying to make these photo real images. And I was reminded of one of my favorite quotes in one of my embroidery books. It's this Art Nouveau embroidery book from 1920 that was republished in the 70s. And in the beginning, there's a quote that says To capture a bird feather by feather is barbaric, to capture its essence is divine. And I just had to use that as my anchor to capture something's essence is so much more interesting than replicating it feather by feather. The beauty of the creative act is the way that something is brought into being that did not previously exist in the world. It's not about reproducing what exists in the world. It's about bringing new life into this form. And I had to keep tapping back into that as I found myself replicating, you know, trying to make these photo real images and I got to a point where I like I couldn't look at embroidery anymore. I couldn't look at other people's embroideries because it was kind of infecting my creativity and I started obsessing over perfect details, which totally blocks the process of creativity. So when we tr- when we're trying to turn a creative project into another method of approval seeking or diving into self-judgment, we're totally wasting our energy. It's this is a total contradiction. The thing is, freedom is the jewel that we're able to mine from the creative process, not perfection. Perfection is another form of restraint. It is basically the opposite of freedom. And I even saw this within the own pages of my book and what this one section that I had to keep coming back to, and I'm going to read it for you um, and kind of keep reminding myself of this fact. And so this is from page 11 on the section on tools for access and creativity and mystical stitches. This is called transformative qualities of the creative process. Creativity is a conversation and collaboration between a variety of sources, our personal intention, our current capabilities, and the divine essence of the materials we're working with. By opening ourselves up to creative expansion, we can discover the path that brings us home to ourselves. Putting too much emphasis on technique can leave us feeling inadequate, unskilled, or like we'll never be good enough. Let's shift our attention to meaning, to intention, and to the stories within us that we can express despite, or even in support of, our limited abilities. This is not a book that requires perfect stitching. In fact, you may notice that my stitches are frequently imperfect. These areas that might be considered sloppy by traditional needlework standards are the elements that remind me of the humanity and intention brought to these stitches. Many years ago, an art teacher of mine told me the camera has already been invented. What she hinted to my young and tender ears was, it is not your job to replicate reality. It is your job to bring your own visions into reality. This was perhaps one of the most influential teachings of my entire life. While I did go on to learn exactly how to describe three-dimensional forms in paint and pencil, casting shadows, and creating perspective, I found myself as an adult artist trying to unlearn all that formalism in order to access the reality and the depths of my psyche that wanted to be shown to the world, imperfections required. Keep in mind as you work with this book that there is no one way to stitch. There is no one meaning behind a symbol. There is no arrangement of symbols that works best. There is no best, there are only multitudes. And I mean, I basically needed to like tattoo that section of the book onto my forehead to remind myself that like that was the whole intention of the book was to embrace this imperfection and to embrace the human quality of the stitches. Now, that didn't mean that every page that I stitched, I just left it as it was. I mean, there were some pages that I stitched three or four times because it just didn't feel like it had yet captured the essence. But I didn't find those times to be trying to find perfection. It was more like an intuitive knowing that I hadn't gotten there yet. And that was okay to me. It wasn't about, you know, that, that doesn't look enough like a peony yet. It was like, I don't think that I've quite expressed what the peony wants me to say yet. It was a different kind of conversation. And that's another thing that I learned, another epiphany that I had was, you know, if something isn't working, you can rarely force it into being with your rational mind. Oftentimes, what it took for me to find the solution to a creative problem was walking away, going and doing something else, getting outside, getting some fresh air seeing birds soaring through the sky, watching the leaves on the pine tree sort of shifting and shaking in the wind. And ultimately, it was that space in between sleep and waking that I found to be the most valuable. And so if I was dealing with an issue, like let's say that peony that I mentioned, it was like, okay, I'm going to think about that before I go to bed. And I'm going to think about it when I wake up in the morning. And in those spaces, I hope to find some sort of Indication of where I need to move forward with that piece. So if something's not working, don't force it dream about it So now where are we at in the book? So now we're at the point where everything's been done pages have been stitched they have been Hand delivered to the publisher because I didn't trust any mail carrier To handle these thousands and thousands of hours of stitching (laughs) So I drove to western massachusetts myself to make sure they got there And now the publisher is doing all of the sort of fine tuning and getting the details about getting this book published. And they reach out to me and they say, oh, hey, Christy, in your book proposal, you mentioned that you wanted Alexandra Jacopetti Hart, who is the author of the cult classic Native Funk and Flash. You mentioned you wanted her to write the foreword. So do you think you could reach out to her? Uh, And I was like, wait, oh, I mean, that was just like a pipe dream. Like, I just kind of wanted that to happen, but I didn't think that I would actually. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I can uh, shoot her an email, um, you know, because we go way back to never. I never met her before. Uh. (laughs) So I do a quick Google search. I find her email and I send her a copy of the manuscript. Remember, back to what I was saying earlier, send the email, connect to the person, do the thing. Um, I honestly didn't expect to hear back from her. Um, And then I think it was like maybe a next day or two days later, I get an email from a Miss Alexandra Hart saying that she has taken a look at my website and absolutely loves the idea of the book and would love to be a part of the forward. This is the point where I just die. Um, I, I spent like, you know, three hours just dead on the floor. But then I realized I had to regain consciousness because there were six more months of edits that needed to be done on this book. And that's the part that I feel like nobody ever really talks about is the editing process. It is slow It is constantly reading your own words over and over again back to yourself. And it is, in this case, looking through patterns and trying to find every little detail. Oh, nope, that's actually a stem stitch. Oh, nope, we need to draw this a little more like this. Oh, this needs to be a little more like this. To the point where when I got the actual hard copy of the book, I had spent so many hours editing the documents that I couldn't even look at the hard copy. Like I I got it and I kind of just put it aside and was like, I can't experience this as a book, I am continuing to experience it as an unfinished project. And considering that it is a hard copy in my hand right now, I'm gonna have to get over that. So it took me a few weeks, but I was finally able to pick up the book and enjoy it just for the work of art that it is. And that is thanks to not just the stitching that I did on it, but thanks to the incredible art department at Story Publishing. Thanks to the incredible illustrator, Nina chakrabarti who whose work I had admired long before the publisher asked me if I was interested in having her illustrate the book, to the photos taken by Brad Ogbona, who is a friend of mine, and I was so happy to have him be the photographer for this book. So there were so many different parties that were involved in this and so many different people whose artwork influenced and supported the creation of this book that Um, I couldn't have done myself. And I'm the type of person who thinks that they can make things happen by themselves, (laughs) Um, who, you know, I'm kind of, I work kind of solo. And so having this experience was just incredible to feel the way that a team can work together, especially during a time where none of us could actually get together. We were all doing this from our own homes. Aside from the photo shoot, we're all doing this, um, you know, in the middle of a pandemic. So huge thanks to everybody who had a hand in the process of this book and a huge thank you to everybody who has purchased this book, to everybody who has let me know how much this book has meant for them, to everybody who has shared photos of this book. I just want to say a huge, huge thank you. That is all for this week. I will be returning next week with an amazing interview with Tessa Perlow. Yes, Tessa Perlow. She's going to be on the podcast. I am so excited to share our conversation. So be sure to tune in next week and enjoy your week. Thanks for listening. Bye.